Y'all hear me? Awesome. How you doing? Good. You look good. You're welcome. Come on now. Nine o'clock service. Thank you. Feeling good this morning. Hey, uh, we're going to jump straight into the word this morning. Luke chapter two is where we will be at. And so if you got your Bible, why don't you turn there with me? And uh, paper Bibles are the best, but shout out to everyone that reads on a phone or an iPad or a, some sort of tablet. The word of God is the word of God. And uh, we're just glad that we get to gather and teach it and read it, talk about it. You know, there's countries where this book's illegal. I said, there's countries where this book's illegal. And we get to openly come together and try to figure it out together. And so what a privilege it is. I want to send a very special shout out to everybody watching online. Can we put our hands together real quick for our online audience that are with us today? We love you. I got a couple texts this morning that says, you know, it's just too snowy where we're at or we're just not safe driving. And so no shame, no game. We're glad that you're watching and can connect however you can. Um, it's a beautiful thing about technology. And thank you for the generosity of our people that we get to have tech like this. You know, cameras aren't cheap, y'all. And it's been so cool to watch people come into our church and see our technology and actually get to like train on it. And like, you know, I think of some of our team members, some of them are like teenagers that are holding thousand dollar cameras and they're getting to like find church cool and fun because they're encountering God through serving that way. And so just thank you for everyone that gives and supports our ministry. It's been awesome. Okay. Luke chapter two, we're continuing in our study on the Christmas story. And today we're going to start in verse eight of Luke's gospel. Uh, last week, we talked about the birth of Jesus, and now we are continuing right from that moment, right after Jesus is born. We're picking it up in the next part of the story. And uh, I love Christmas time because we, we usually in church read the same story, um, but every year there is something deep or something new that God shares. You know, church becomes boring when you stop expecting new things. You ever have someone that like in your life and they're on fire for God at one moment and then later they just kind of dwindle? Well, once you stop expecting that something good is going to happen, something new could happen, God's going to give me something. Once you stop doing that, of course it gets boring. But when we're actually coming to his word and saying, speak to us, speak to us, he speaks to us. So we're glad to jump into today. Verse eight, when you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here reads the word of the Lord. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. This, this is David. Y'all know King David, right? He's talking to these shepherds. David, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is a big deal. Verse 12 says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angel, there was a multitude of the heavenly host praising and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those who he, um, whom he is pleased. Verse 15 a lot of Bible today. If you haven't read your Bible yet today, this counts as you're reading. All right. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I want to drive you back up in the text all the way to verse eight of Luke chapter two. Let's get that back on the screen here for a second, just to kind of catapult us into our thought today. The Bible says in the same region, there were shepherds 
out in the field. Um, For the remainder of our time, I want to title this message this morning, Found in the Field. He found me in the field. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Thank you uh, for the moments we share. Make this word something that stirs us up. Lord, help me preach it in the same way you spoke it to me. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody next to you. Say, he found me in the field. And if they didn't smile, turn to somebody else and say, he found you in the field. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, one of the conversations that I love to have with somebody is about how they became a Christian. Uh, Typically, this question is usually connected to their life story. Either they were raised in the faith or either they got evangelized to at a certain age or, you know, somebody connected them to a local church. But I love hearing about how people met Jesus and how they became Christian. Now, here's something I often hear from somebody, though. They'll say stuff like, yeah, you know, I found God when I was in a dark place. And I'll say, wow, that's awesome. Or they say, you know, I went through a period of my life where, you know, uh, things didn't go well, but then I found Jesus. And, and I get what they're saying, and I think you do too. They're saying that's when I really tried this Christian thing. But like, as I was prepping this week, it had me thinking, do we really find God? Because to find God would imply that he is lost. You remember this about God. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing, but he's also everywhere at the same time. Meaning how he moves in Fredonia, he also is moving in South Africa. And while he's doing something in South Africa, he's working in the underground churches in China. And then while he's doing that in China, he's with some person doing their Devo up in Alaska. Like the same God is everywhere. So the question really isn't, when did you find God? The question is, when did you let yourself be found by him? Consider with me just for a second that the first time that God goes looking for man is in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter three tells us that Adam and Eve sinned. And then what do they do? Because they sin, they go and hide. And remember what happens? They cover themselves with fig leaves and they run and they go hide. And the Bible says, and God came walking in the cool of the day and shouted this phrase, Adam, where are you? Do you think God didn't know where Adam was? Of course he knew where he was. The question was, where are you at? I know where you're at physically, but where are you at in your relationship with me? I haven't lost sight of you, but maybe you've lost sight of me. Can I encourage someone this morning? God has not forgotten about you. God has not silenced you. God has not, you know, kept his eyes off of you. Maybe it's just we have kept our eyes off of him. And what typically happens is when we tell people this is how we met Jesus, we leave out the part where we fully stopped running and we just surrender and say, this is where he found me. You know, you can't argue someone's testimony. You know, we can talk theological arguments and we can talk about, is this right? Is this wrong? You know, is this a phrase that we can use here? Is this a phrase that, but you can't argue with somebody about their encounter with God. You know, we can talk about, well, is that biblically accurate? Is that correct? But when someone just says, I just had a feeling, I just had an encounter, he just spoke to me, the Holy Spirit just came to me, you can't really argue that. We can argue history, we can argue philosophy, we can argue all that stuff, but what God does in an individual's life, you can't really argue. This is where we come back to the scriptures. The only thing I'll argue with someone on their story is, does the emphasis on God connect to the way that he's described in scripture? 
Because if somebody says, oh, I just had a really crazy encounter and they tell me about a God that doesn't line up with scripture, I'm gonna say, oh, that's not God. But at the end of the day, you can't argue someone's story. In this particular part of the Christmas story, we see these shepherds that just happen to be in the right place at the right time. I can imagine these shepherds telling this testimony later and saying like, yeah, an angel came to us and said that the Messiah was just around the corner and people not believing them. I can imagine them wondering, how is it that while we were just tending sheep where we were supposed to be, the angel happened to meet us in that exact same spot? Well, I don't think that God does anything by accident. Do you? Romans chapter eight says this, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. And to those who are called according to his purpose. What the writer of Romans tells us is when you live in the will of God, all things actually that you go through connect for good. All things are by divine appointment. It doesn't mean that, you know, God's up there and everything is like perfectly timed and you're waiting for the next yes or no, but it just is a realization that everything I go through can be worked for his glory. That sometimes the best glory God can get is from when the honest confession and dirty story comes out. When we hide things from God or we run from him or we keep things from him, we're actually keeping him from a chance to get glory from our story. Are you following me? I, don't, I know that you don't want people to know what's going on. I understand that idea of, I don't want everyone knowing my business. But the sooner that we tell someone what we went through, the sooner we talk about our battles, the more quickly God can get glory. Yeah. And the more quickly we can say, hey, this is actually about him, not us. So these shepherds aren't just in the field by chance. Everything these shepherds have done now, I think, are working up to this moment. And if you're new to Christianity or you're new to religion, this is a good thing. Because it lets us know that God uses every moment we go through to show us something about who he is. Think about that. Nothing in your life is wasted. Nothing that you go through is by chance. For these shepherds, they weren't just tending their sheep. They were consistently in alignment with what they were supposed to do. And when you're in alignment with what you're supposed to do, God will give you revelation. Some people that say, God's not speaking to me. It's usually like, why are you doing what you're supposed to do? Because God found these dudes just doing what they're supposed to do. They're tending sheep. It's not really a good job in those days. It's not really a high position in society. You know, we get the idea that these shepherds were like 80-year-old dudes, and they were like real wise and stuff, right? When you think of the shepherds in the field, and they come to the nativity scene, aren't they like, you know, older? And they're like shepherds. It just doesn't really add up historically. I mean, it would have been like a teenager running those sheep. You know, remember David? Samuel comes to anoint the next prophet and David's like 13 and they go, where's David? Don't you have another son? And he says, oh yeah, he's out keeping the sheep. Like they wouldn't have been like 80 year old guys. These would have been like 20 year olds, maybe even younger, but because they were consistently going in the right spot, God found them being faithful. When God finds us, let it be when we're being faithful. Let it be not just when we're comfortable. Let it not just be when we're, you know, we're uneasy. Let it be when we're consistently going back to the things that matter. Let him find us faithful to the place of, of his presence, but also the people that connect us to him. So I wanna get, look at the Christmas story here, just the shepherd part for the next few moments. And uh, we're gonna tackle five different parts of it. And for all the people that like to study, we'll just go verse by verse. And we'll kind of pull out some principles and really try to learn something maybe from this story that we've missed. Okay, so let's first talk about the audience of the story. Okay, we know that Jesus has been born, but now in this section of the chapter, we have an audience that is waiting for something to be shown to them. 
And I mentioned verse eight actually shows us the audience. Luke chapter two, verse eight, it says, in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, here's another reason why people don't believe Jesus was actually born in December, uh, because if that was the case, they wouldn't have been out keeping sheep in the middle of the night. Temperatures are getting like here down in Fredonia. You know, it's gonna be down like in the 30s and 40s in the desert in the wintertime. So most people tell you because of this little key, that's the reason we have, you know, it's more like a summertime kind of birth, um, but it's really irrelevant to our point today. Shepherds, as I mentioned, were societally just looked down upon. It wasn't the best job, but naturally shepherds carried the heart of God. With what they do as a profession, they would illustrate to people the heart of the father towards his people. Because what does the shepherd do? He is responsible for sheep. He makes sure that the sheep get taken care of. He has, you know, the staff. It's got a pointer so he can lead the way. It's got a hook, you know, in case he needs to beat anybody off the sheep. Like the shepherd is literally responsible to keep those sheep together. Now, here's the thing about sheep. Sheep, uh, no offense, aren't that smart. Sheep have a tendency to just wander. Sheep have a tendency to get excited for a moment and then just kind of forget the significance of the moment the next very next time. So make no mistake, I'm a pastor and a lot of people are like, oh, pastor, shepherd. Yeah, but I'm a sheep too. We all need a shepherd. And as much as people might look at the pastor of a church as, oh, he's the shepherd. Yes, of course, we're gathering the sheep. We're going to the shepherd, but make no mistake, we gather to go to the great shepherd. Jesus actually calls himself the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. And so the audience is showing us something more than just a profession. It's actually a spiritual posture. Shepherds were looked down upon in culture, but they were elevated in scripture. Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Amos, Old Testament prophet, minor prophet, as we call him. uh, uh, Amos was a shepherd. Amos is just tending sheep one day and God takes him for his ministry. He's just being faithful, tending his dad's sheep and the spirit of the Lord speaks to him and says, go prophesy against the king. Are you telling me you gotta be perfect to be used by God? Shepherds are walking around sheep. Can you imagine just stinky, smelly? You know, another thing about sheep, things get stuck in their wool. And as they're trying to move forward, everything they walk by gets stuck to them as they're going. That's why we come to church because Monday to Saturday, I got stuff in my wool and I need the shepherd to pick it out. I got anger in my wool. I got bitterness in my wool. I got some, you know, insecurities in my wool. And so when I come to church and I sing about holy, holy, you are, it's like he's picking that stuff out. Are you you following me? So the audience shows us not just shepherds, shows us what it means to be a Christian. Can I go deeper? Jesus Think about this. These shepherds are in the region tending sheep, tending these, you know, sheep, lambs, all that kind of stuff. Jesus is both shepherd and lamb. He himself comes and he says, I'm going to be the one that'll be a sacrifice, but I'm going to be the one that'll keep sheep going towards the thing that matters. The audience is right there. There's no place for shepherds in society, but there was a place for them in God's kingdom. You ever felt like there was no place for you? You were anointed, but you hadn't been appointed. You ever feel like you have a gift or a dream or you look at something and you've been an employee, but you know you can be an owner. You ever look at something and just know that it can continue. That's the beauty about seeing these shepherds is they are low in society, but valuable in God's eyes. 
May we be that same way, that people in society can look down on others, but in the church, we don't look down on anybody. The great C.S. Lewis said, there's no such thing as a Christian that looks down on someone because a Christian without Jesus would know they're at the bottom anyways. So may we never be at a place where we're like, hmm, yeah, I'm up here because I go to church. It's like, no, no, no. Without my shepherd, I'd be wandering too. You know, what do you expect? People come in here after going to the club on Saturday night, but at one point that would have been us that said the very same thing. I don't know where else to go but the house of God. And so we have an audience that shows us something deeper. Okay, secondly, let's go to the next verse. Verse nine shows us the angel. So we've got this audience, but then in verse nine, we've got the angel. Let's look at the text now. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all people. As we talked about last week, the angel would have scared these guys. I mean, as soon as the angel would appear, they would have fallen back in fear. So the first thing the angel says is fear not. But there's three distinct things he says at the end of verse nine that I think are interesting. He says, I bring you good news. And that good news, I think, is God's involvement. The gospel is the good news that God's getting involved with society and humanity now. John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The announcement is God is getting involved. Like he's coming into what he created. When you think about it, we try to fix things from within creation. We need a savior that's bigger than that. We need someone bigger to step in. The second thing he says is the gospel, the good news, is going to bring great joy. Like when he's born, you're going to be really happy. And not just like, you know, a temporal kind of happiness. You're going to have deep joy. You know why? Because this is the one that's coming to end the curse of sin. When he comes, he is being born. Make no mistake. He comes as a baby and we love to celebrate it, but he's coming to die. He comes and gets involved just to solve what's always been crooked here in life. And so it's great joy because for us, the law is no longer going to be burdened. Make no mistake, we still need the law. I talked to some people today and they're like, well, you know, we're under the new covenant now. And so we don't need the Old Testament anymore. And I'm like, well, do not murder in the Old Testament, you know. So like, we still need the law. It doesn't mean that we're burdened by it doesn't mean that God now is, you know, not offering forgiveness if we don't keep it, but it does show us like we can't keep it by ourselves. And so the great joy we get from Jesus' birth is he's coming to end the performancism in my life. Jesus is being born so that I don't have to try to make something to get God's approval. He's being born so I can just live in response to his love. I'm preaching better than you're talking. Great joy. The burden of the law is crushed. The third thing he says is this is going to be for all people, which means uh, no one's excluded from this invitation. Doesn't matter how far away from God they are. Doesn't matter what color their skin is. Doesn't matter their sexual orientation. Doesn't matter their political views. The invitation is for all. So our job is not to get them to respond. Our job is not to save them. Let's get them here and save them. No, we offer the invitation. Jesus did this. Do you want it? It's for all people. The invitation is something that really changes us and kind of shows us like, wow, God cares to keep inviting us. You know, you ever go to a party and it's like too full and then they said, okay, I'm gonna have some more friends are coming. We still got more people coming. And you're like, there's no room for anybody else here. You know, like who else is coming? Oh, you know, Janice is coming with her seven kids, you know, and them seven kids are coming and then he's gonna bring his cousin. And then all of a sudden you're like, 
too many people. That never happens in the kingdom of God. He never says, oh, sorry, it's too full. If you're a robber dying on the side of him, he says, today you can be with me in paradise. If you're a prostitute that have made wrong mistakes, he still offers the same invitation. Think about that. He offers the same invitation to the religious elite that he does to some of the lowest in society. That's the good news. The angel says, this is great joy for all people. So that's the angel. Moving on. Let's talk about the announcement. So we've got an audience. We've got an angel. And now we're going to see what this angel actually said. If God is not announcing things in your life, if there's not declarations for you to hang on to, um, faith quickly becomes like, you know, connecting dots and stuff. But if you see that in the Bible, there's over 7,000 promises, 7,000 verses that can be taken as promises. Okay. These are things that are said over your life. Okay. These are things David said, I was young, but now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. That's what David said. David said, I'm, I w- I'm old now. And he goes, but when I was young and when I'm old, I've never seen a righteous person forsaken. You know what that is? That's a promise. So when your kids come home and they say, I'm depressed, I don't feel like anybody loves me, my mental health is wrong, you hold on to that scripture and you speak that over them and you tell them, no, the word of the Lord says, young or old, God's not forsaken you. Your friends might turn your back. You might feel insecure because they're making fun of you. You might feel, but son, daughter, let me just tell you the promise and announce to you what he says. You know, once we started the church, this is something we were kind of teaching people as we go. I'd be preaching and, and you know, you hear people say like, amen. And uh, someone recently, you know, when we first got in the building, it was like the first week, they said, I really love your church, but I just am like, amen kind of church, not really my thing. And I go, what do you mean? And they're just like, you know, like, I feel like I'm interrupting. Like, as you're preaching, if I were to say, like, hey, man, I feel like I shouldn't be talking. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. I understand, you know, no pressure. I say, but the people that do say amen, it's just like a feeling of, like, I agree with what was just said, and I'm going to believe that now, you know? Now, now, name it and claim it stuff kind of walks that line, but there are things that are preached that we can say, amen, I want that for my kids. I want my kids to know that they're never going to be forsaken. Amen. You know, it's the announcement. Uh, Let's look at verse 11. The angel's announcement is, again, pointing us towards Scripture. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. His name is Jesus. Jesus, Yeshua, is the one who saves. His name literally means Savior. Yeshua in Hebrew is also where we get Joshua. So the book of Joshua, his name would have been Yeshua, just like Jesus. And same picture, Joshua is a type of Jesus. Joshua led his people just like Jesus leads his people. It says, for unto you born this day in the city of David is a savior who is Christ the Lord. And he, he is, he is, he is going to be the one that saves humanity from their sin. It's an announcement. It's something that's said. Um, my wife and I, as you know, we travel a lot and get the chance to go different places, either for ministry or, you know, just like we recently uh, were on vacation, which is much needed. And it was awesome to get away. But like when I'm in the airport, I love this moment. I don't love it. But like when I'm usually waiting for my plane or we're like, you know, sitting there, you hear those announcements of people that are like, they're waiting on that one person. They go, you know, final boarding call for, you know, Billy Heather on flight 426. You know, this is your final warning. The doors will not reopen. It's funny when you're not the one running. We were traveling one time and Randy went ahead to the gate and I was checking my watch and I'm like, we got time to do this. We got time to do this. We can make it happen. She had the baby. She went to the gate and I'm like, I'm just going to get Starbucks. 
and I got time to get Starbucks. And I got to Starbucks and like the line was like seven people in line. And I'm kind of, so I watched the first person get taken care of. I'm like, okay, that took about a minute and 30 seconds. So I'm like a minute, three minutes, four minutes, you know, I'm like counting it up. So any, anyways, I stayed in line and our gate is just over there. I, you know, I can just kind of see the gate and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then as I'm running, I'm thinking I'm going to miss it. And I get there and they said, the doors are now shut. And Randy's just standing there. And she goes, it's fine. They're not putting us on the plane. And I'm like, what, what happened? And she goes, well, I don't understand because they needed us to check in. And they told us this whole thing that we needed to do. And then we were sitting there. We ended up missing the plane. We go to customer service. We're sitting, talking to customer service, you know, and, and, you know, um, it was awesome because we got to minister to some people. So, you know, whatever. But like, there was a moment where I told the customer service rep, I was like, how come someone didn't just announce something? She goes, oh, well, we thought you were already here at the gate. And I go, but I don't understand. If there had been an announcement, I would have been aware that something was about to happen. You want to know why we still talk about hell? You want to know why culture doesn't want us to talk about sin? Because something's still going to happen. And if we don't tell people, if we don't announce to them, here's what Jesus has done. People are going to be stuck, but they won't be missing a plane. So we need an announcement. And you know our heart at gospel. We're not those kind of like, you know, turn or burn kind of announcement people. We're not like those, you know, on the side of the road with a sign. Like we love those people. We need them. Thank God for them. Not our forte. All right. But like we have to be people that announce. Oh, you know who the president might be? Uh, Yeah, maybe. But I know who the king still is. Uh, But do you understand where the economy is at? Yeah, maybe. But I know what the word says. You know, I got to hang on to the announcements. Doesn't mean I don't acknowledge reality. I just choose not to believe that it's more powerful than his word. You following? Some people get funny with scripture. They think, oh, Christians, you know, they think God can defy the laws of, you know, gravity and all that stuff. And I believe he does supernatural things. Believe that he raises dead people still. Believe he can heal the sick. Believe that he does the supernatural. Um, But I also believe that he's given people a choice. He doesn't send people to hell. He offers them a choice. And as the church, may we be people that champion the choice. May we tell people, we're not going to shove it down your face, but you need to know what's in here. May we be people that tell people like, hey, I don't know you enough directly to just call you a sinner, but like, let me just show you what the Bible says, or let me acknowledge that I'm a sinner too, and it'll make them feel like they're welcome. Like, we got to announce to people that something's happening. Where am I going? I don't know why we're out here, but we need to be here. Okay, let's look at what Isaiah said about Jesus. Here was the announcement 700 years before he came. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. I love this line. And the government will be on his shoulders, on his shoulders. He's the one that sets up kings and causes them to fall. He's the one that puts people in position and puts people in power. And let me remind you, he doesn't always put people that are righteous in power. Read the Bible. Gosh, sometimes he puts people that are corrupt. Sometimes he allows people to get to a place of power just to let things go in the ways he wants them to go. But sometimes we say, oh no, it has to be a godly leader that's in power. No, the government is on his shoulders. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I wish I had time to give you a breakdown of all four. Verse seven, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
of the greatness and his government, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. No four-year terms with Jesus. He's in power, my friends. He's the one that gives peace. His legislation is always good for you. Man, I feel like I ought to write a book on politics or something. My, my, my. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne. So now it's getting like even deeper. Now we're talking messianic prophecy fulfillment. Now like the average Jew would look at this and go, David's throne. So this is the Messiah. And over his kingdom and establishing, uh, let's keep going, and establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I love that. He establishes and he upholds. Let's continue. Verse uh, number four, we have the anthem. We have the anthem. Luke chapter two, verse 13 now shows us what these angels announced and then what happened after they announced it. Okay, whenever there's an announcement of something like the gospel message or like the promises of God, it should lead to an anthem. You know what an anthem is? It's just something that is sang over and over consistently. It's, it's the national anthem. It's what we sing to represent what we believe and uphold about our country. Like an anthem is something that becomes a part of your life. And so you got an encounter with an angel. For some of us, an encounter with God, we forget it seven days later and we're like, oh, that wasn't supernatural. But let one moment become momentum in our life, that now it leads us somewhere. Verse 13 says this, and suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I found this interesting this week. I was also studying, you know, like four times in Luke chapter two, it talks about the angel saying, it says, you know, this is what they said. Um, when Mary ponders it, the next verse says, you know, everyone loved it, but Mary pondered the saying in her heart. You know, it never shows us the angels singing, you know, but the hymn is hark the herald angels sing. But just, we see angels singing in two scriptures, Job 38 and Revelation chapter five. Okay, I did the back work for you. Write it down, go check it out. Okay, but there is only two times that we actually see angels singing. And it's just a little fun little Christmas nugget. Like, it's like, oh yeah, hark the herald angels sing. Like, no, these dudes were preaching. They were preaching that this was happening. They were saying this. They were announcing this. This was like a conversation as they were saying it. It says this in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It sounds like a song. (laughs) May your life reflect God so much that people could sing it. They could sing the ups and downs of your life because it becomes a song. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So verse 13 says uh, that the the shepherds saw a multitude of angels. Now, this wasn't just one or two angels. Multitude is used in Revelation chapter five as well. And in Revelation chapter five, the multitude, it actually tells us what it means. It's 10,000 times 10,000. And then it says, and thousands and thousands more. There's a lot of angels. In the moment, these shepherds who are tending sheep get access to the multitude of heaven. Like what surrounds the throne? Holy, holy, holy. The shepherds saw in this moment. Oh, my friends, this is something that excites me because it prompts them to see this deserves worship. When you really get a picture of God, you don't try to logicalize it or try to figure it out. You just worship. 
You just worship. I can't try to fit him into a box. He just deserves my worship. I can't try to, you know, portion him into my schedule. He just deserves my worship. If you try to schedule time with God, it's good. Please do it. But sometimes he don't care about your schedule. The anthem was a setup for worship. And as I close, our lives ought to be a continual setup to worship. What I'm doing at my job is how I give God worship, how I speak to my wife. Even the way you speak to somebody is your opportunity to worship. Make no mistake, worship is not the songs we sing, it's the life we live. So great over the last couple of weeks having more and more college students over this last semester come. And shout out to all of you that are watching online from home. We miss you already. But like having these college kids come in and having these ideas about God and starting to tell them, like, man, it's great that you know we can have a worship set or like do something like that. But like I've been hearing stories about these college kids, like they're in the dorms worshiping. They're like in the music hall setting up for practice, and then it ends with just worship, and they're there worshiping all night. That's because God wants us to worship. Every song that has been written should be for his worship. <laughs> I heard one pastor say, all, worship, all, all music is worship. It just depends upon who you're singing to. The anthem. John Arperg has a great quote. He says, I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. You cannot be in worship and be thinking about you. It's not worship. It's not worship if it's you. He continues, says, I need to worship because without it, I can lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and go through my life with blinders on. I need to worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. I'm a sheep. My natural tendency is to wander. I need the shepherd to bring me back. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see that this thing has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It was worship because it led to a response. They said, wow, we just saw something. Let's go do something about it. That was their anthem. So we talked about the audience, the angel, the announcement, the anthem. Lastly, number five, all letter A's, if you haven't guessed it by now, this is the affirmation. Verse 18 is the affirmation. We'll pick it up starting in verse 16. And they went with haste. That means they hurried. Because when God gives you a word, sometimes you don't need to wait. He moves in two speeds, suddenly or slowly. So either you're trying to wait and try to trust him and learn his timing, or you need to do it today. You need to do it right after church. You need to pick up the phone right after church and call. Sometimes, wait, pray, process, get counsel, think about it, save, get, you know, make wise decisions. Other times, just go. Don't ask questions, just go. He says, they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the manger. And when they, and when they saw it, they made know the saying that had been told to them. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. The shepherd affirmed what heaven said. The job of a shepherd, all my pastors that are watching, anybody in ministry watching, anybody that's a Bible teacher watching, your job is to affirm what heaven says. The shepherds went and told Mary, and once they saw it, they said, let us tell you what heaven just told us. Let us tell you what God is saying right now. The shepherd affirmed it. So this week I was praying 
had me thinking about Bethlehem because in the verse, uh, first verse we read, verse eight, it says in the same region, they were keeping sheep. And Bethlehem today in modern day Jerusalem, Jerusalem has now expanded quite a bit in Israel, that Bethlehem is actually like a hamlet of Jerusalem. That from the temple mount actually is not too far, these shepherds would have been believed to keeping sheep. So these sheep very well could have been sacrificial sheep. These shepherds could have been raising the sheep that would have been offered in the temple to take away sin. So getting the announcement about the one coming to save the world from sin takes on an even deeper meaning because no longer do we need to just do the stuff. They were out in the field and uh, I I read this week, uh, just verse eight, as I kind of titled the message, the shepherd was out in the field. The shepherds were out in the field shepherds out in the field. And it really hit me. I was like, oh man, that's not the first time I've seen shepherds out in the field. If you remember the story, the first brothers that ever lived, the first sibling argument, if you will. One was Cain. His brother's name was Abel. One was a shepherd. The other was a farmer. And this is an age old dispute between shepherds and farmers. What should the plot be used for? Is this to tend our sheep? Is this to grow? There's always been that kind of tension between, it uh, doesn't matter what culture you're in, shepherds and farmers, they, they don't like each other sometimes because like, man, I should be putting my crops here and you got your sheep walking all over this thing. And so the Bible says that one day when, when Abel uh, was out in the field, Cain came out in the field and Cain killed Abel. The shepherd was actually killed while he was in the field. The farmer came and killed him while he was in the field. Are you, are you seeing this? When, 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 when Abel came into the field, he got killed. When Jesus is born, you know what that is? That's him coming into this field. You know this field. It's the field you drive through to take your kids to work to school. It's, it's the field that you had Thanksgiving. It's, it's, you know, the field is earth. It's our life. So when Jesus came into the world, just like Abel was to be killed. But as the Bible says, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He came into our field. And that's where I want to close today because no matter how dirty your life has seemed or how far you've been, he cared enough to come in. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you. Thank you for coming into our lives. Thank you for never turning from us. We were young. We've been old. We've gone through life now, and we can honestly say you haven't left us yet. This morning, I just pray that you would affirm to somebody that you're with them. 